This is the Jason Kavnis Experience, hosted by Jason Kavnis. Join Jason as he talks to small business owners and startup founders and other interesting people as we gain great insights about business, people, leadership, HR, and how each guest strives to be great every day. Hello, and welcome to Jason Kavnis Experience. I'm your host, Jason Kavnis. Our guest today is Ch- Chelsea Roney. Chelsea, you're to be great today. Thanks for having me. Yes. Chelsea brings her business building and strategy experience to Proxy, where she serves as COO and leads a team of five. Going the business through sales and marketing. After graduating from Texas A&M, Chelsea joined Boeing, where she worked in financial planning and analysis at Microsoft, where she worked in a domain center that focused on B2B, omni-channel marketing. She grew up and sold two businesses, a SaaS business in the university space and a local service business. She's also an active member of the community, dedicated parent, and passionate supporter of women in business. Chelsea, thanks for being here today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. So what's, what's keeping me busy right now? Oh, gr- well, growing proxy. So we are on a mission to have as many people as possible find our platform and make interactive, customizable maps. And I'm in charge of growth. So it's for me, my day-to-day is packed with finding new channels or optimizing our current channels and trying to get as many people as possible to find out about us. So growth for a startup is vastly different from a growth and I would say like a IBM or Boeing, right? Yes. Oh, most definitely. So, um, you know, there are so many, there for a larger company, first of all, you already have that known brand presence. And so it's all about converting the people that already know about you in a lot of cases. And then for a startup, you have to overcome the challenge of people not even knowing who you are to begin with. And so there's a lot of extra steps around that part of it. Can you talk about the channels like, you know, because y'all just got VC funded, right? Or raise a seed around or something, right? right? Exactly. Talk about the channel, like not only you have to have growth, but you know, you have to show your investors like you're, you're growing, but like, you know, 20% per month, 30% per yes. month. Yes, yes. Can, can you talk about the channels of that? Exactly. So, um, so we do. So you're exactly right. We have to show our investors that we have grown as much as possible every month, and and um, and so it's uh, it's challenging because um, we we have to just we have to show this growth, um, and we have to show it from all of these different platforms and. Um, can we go to the next question? Yeah. I'm having a little bit of <laughs> stage fright on my first ever live podcast <laughs> here, or my first ever <laughs> filmed no, no podcast. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll go back to it. Yeah. So, um, so you have five people on the team right now, right? That's right. Including you and the CEO, right? That's right. So talk about the process of why y'all decided to have a CEO so early. Cause a lot of startups, like we're not going to do a CEO to like wait, like, 30, 40, 50 people. <laughs> Why did you have a CEO so early in, yeah. in the process? Well, it's been helping us get some direction. So uh, in role clarity. So just by having these titles, we know that our CEO, her main job is to go after funding and to help craft our story as a company and lead all of these different divisions of our company toward the same end goal. And then for me, I'm called the COO. So I handle things uh, that aren't on the product side of the house. So everything from operations to marketing. And that just helps us understand 
where we're going and what we're doing when we're all working together. Yes. So you mentioned omni-channel marketing. Yeah. Uh, first, can you explain what that is for in case no doesn't know what it is? Yeah. And then some people will say like, you know, don't do omni-channel marketing because you like you too spread too thin. Other people say no, just only do <laughs> don't just do one market. Like only don't only do Instagram. You miss everything else. Yeah. Like talk about that and, and talk about how you split your time proxy time between the different channels. Okay, sure. So omni-channel marketing is basically spreading your marketing efforts across different marketing channels and having a coordinated story across those channels and meeting the buyers or potential customers where they are. And so at Proxy, we've you know, we have chosen several different channels to concentrate on for right now. Uh, some of those channels are SEO. Uh, we have a PR firm. Uh, we are on social. We write our blog. So we're in several different channels at once. And it's all about optimizing those channels and figuring out where the most, you know, where, where our ideal customer is coming from. So if you, if you had to look in the future, which one do you think is going to be your number one social media in, in the future? Social media of the yeah, future? Yeah. Okay. Right now, I think it's, for us, it's Instagram. Mm -hmm. And so Instagram drives not only most of Proxy's organic traffic, but also a lot of our paid traffic. And we're finding that a lot of our high quality customers or you know, map makers are from Instagram. However, uh, in the near term future in Q3, Proxy is expanding to uh, Pinterest as a social media channel. I'm really hopeful about this channel because uh, as you probably know, Pinterest is a, uh, you know, a discovery channel, a search mm -hmm. engine. And so our maps have really searchable mm -hmm. content on them or the the content is really searchable. So people will make maps about travel guides, like where to go in certain places around the world, or they'll make, um, you know, a nonprofit might make a guide of volunteer efforts in a certain area. And so those things are, pe are things that people are really interested in searching for. And so I'm really hopeful that Pinterest will help us uh, expand a little bit next quarter. So I know both you and your CEO have done a great job of like going on podcasts, putting yourself out there, like yeah. you know, being like brand ambassadors for the startup. Can you talk about the importance of doing that? Because I think a lot of entrepreneurs, like it's product, 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 you know, oh, yeah. build it and it'll come. And all those that like, I'm, I'm an introvert. I don't want to talk in front of people. I'll build on a, uh -huh. I'll build a market. I'll, I'll, I'll sell the product and then bring on a market person, a PR. Can you talk about the points like the earliest days, like, people in the early team getting out there and just being a brand ambassador, so yeah. to speak. So I've built two companies and, and sold two prior ones prior to Proxy. This is the first company that we ha I have gotten a PR firm so early on, and it has been um, a really, uh, not reward, but higher ROI mm -hmm. on, on that spend. The reason is, is because PR firms already have their expertise is around understanding um, different demographics and who may be interested mm -hmm. in receiving your message and so it takes all of that guesswork out of you know you thinking about um all of these different demographics so they already know what they're doing and they can help you shortcut that <laughs> So talk about making decisions. You know, most people say don't bring a PR firm until weird, like maybe your A round, B round. Uh, you know, I see. All, they, all they say, you know, hey, mm -hmm. don't bring a PR round because you need to spend your money on you know totally like thousand different more important things. Mm -hmm. Talk about why do you decide to bring a PR firm firm so early? Like the, are you talking about the RI or that kind yeah. of stuff? Yeah. So for us right now, for Proxy, the most important thing is 
getting as many customers as we can. Mapping is a really hot space right now. And so we have different competitors out there. And what I'm trying to say is it's kind of a land grab. So we're trying to get in front of as many people as possible, in front of as many people as we can, as fast as we can. And so that's where a PR firm is coming in handy for us. Does the name proxy mean anything? Is, this, it, is, it, is that a random name or is it actually some, some it background does. So it's it. a play on the word proximity. Okay. So I've our ne- ma- I've, I've never <laughs> thought that in a million years. Yeah, yeah. And so our my co-founder, Melinda, came up with it. I think her one of her family members did. And, you know, when you're looking at one of our maps, the whole point is that you get this really great local knowledge that's brought out in the map by the map creator. And you can understand where you are in proximity to all of those points. And so that's how we got to proxy. So proxy the map building seems like pretty user-friendly. Can you talk about the points of being user-friendly, how the ties like no marketing it, doing sales, making like, hey, this isn't like hard to use. Like, you know, it's pretty intuitive. Yeah, so we sit in a really unique spot in the mapping world. You either have something like Google My Maps, which is, well, they call it user-friendly. <laughs> or you can do something like uh, hire a developer to build on some map APIs to create a map for you. But there's nothing that was customizable and um, and crowdsourceable and that provided you analytics in between both of those two really different ends of the spectrum. And so we knew we were onto something when we started to create this tool um, because we were creating something that was so user-friendly. We want it to be so simple for anyone to land on proxy and create a map and then show their their knowledge about a local area on a map. Is proxy on the United States or you have it like every every It's nation, around the world. Around we the have world. global users everywhere today yeah. okay so you mentioned earlier you have already raised funds can you talk to somebody you know the decision like you know let me rephrase that what's your advice to like brand new founders on so they bootstrap deck equity the vc funding how do you work all that because all, all of them have pros and cons you have you know some people <laughs> yeah. say you know don't give your company away take out a loan other people like only fools take out loans you know get, get yep, free money it's you know all over the board and, 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 mm-hmm. and that is easy like people say well take a small business loan like you got to be almost like a $10 million business, my business loan. You're right. And it raise, you know, VC funds, like, you know, it's like a lottery, you know. And even if you raise a lottery, I mean, raise a VC funds, I think still like only 1% of them even make it, so to speak, you know. So, like, mm-hmm. can you talk all through that real fast? Yeah. So, so I've actually had experience in all three of the different ways to start a company. One, my first company was bootstrapped. My second company was debt-backed. And Proxy is venture-funded. And so... It really just depends on, I think, a couple of things. One, how quickly you want to be able to grow. So if you do have venture funding, it makes it oftentimes easier for you to grow quicker. Um, And how much ownership you want to keep of your company and how much, I guess, jurisdiction you want over your day-to-day schedule as well. So from the three the three verses you did, do you have a favorite or or non favorite? They they were all really different. So I have to say no. I think working on proxy has been super exciting because we have the our goal is to compete with Google Maps and Yelp as a way for people to find out where to go and what to do. And so just the prospect of thinking that we could help so many people and change the way that people navigate the world has been a real thrill but the other two have were in 
incredible teachers um, in my time leading up to proxy. So I'm going to get the stats wrong, but the stats are out there, you're like, you know, less than 5% or 2% female, you know, females get funding, right? Yeah. I mean, the numbers are horrible. Why were y'all successful versus so many other female founding teams wouldn't have not been successful? I think the trick to raising money, as anyone, but definitely when you're female, is having a really tightly crafted story and a big, not being shy about how big you want your company to be and being able to verbalize that in a really crisp way. And I don't think that's a skill we oftentimes, we work on enough as women. I think we, Melinda and I were really lucky to get into the Techstars program here in Seattle and we got some amazing mentors in this community and they taught us how to tighten our story, how to craft it, and how to show it to other people in a way that made sense to get funding. So this is going to probably come wrong, but it's like a lot of like females, they have companies, they're like, you know, like Jessica Alba has an honest company, right? Yes. They're like, like almost, I, would say, I think these are female type companies, you know, but cosmetics, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And they said like a lot of times when females go like the VCs, like, they automatically assume it's going to be like, you know, quote unquote female type. But y'all have more like a tech company, right? It is, yeah. So do y'all have to like convince VCs, no, this isn't, you know, like a cosmetics company or like a oh, female type company. You have I to see know, where you're going. So no, this is actually a tech company and it's a SaaS company and, you know, think of it differently. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think we had to be really clear in every VC meeting that we go to, we have to establish our credibility right up front. Um, we can't go in usually and knock elbows and take it so casually. We have to establish some credibility before loosening up a little bit. And Melinda, my our CEO, my co-founder's background is technical. Um, she was a geospatial tool builder in one of the US intelligence agencies. And then I have you know, experience building a couple of different businesses and selling them. But whenever we go into these VC rooms with VCs, we have to take our stories really seriously and almost prove ourselves, which is, can feel a little bit frustrating sometimes. Yeah, I can definitely understand. And did y'all raise all your money in Seattle or here at the Bay Area, different places? Yeah, mostly here in Seattle. And like, you know, you probably don't have the exact number, but can you give, tell us like how many, like how many meetings you think y'all, you did before oh, you got the yes? I wish we did keep track of that. That's a really good question. So we, pro- you know, we, our round came together quickly, um, more quickly than most, I'm told. Um, we probably met with between 25 and 30 uh, investors, and we probably came down to maybe 10 that mm-hmm. completed our round, something in there. Um, so I think that's incredible uh, stats for it that. Is. Yeah. So um, I think our next round we may have to meet with. It probably won't be quite so quick, uh, especially given the economy. But we're really hopeful that we can. So how do y'all deal with this? Like I like to say, you know, like pitch decks are like resumes, right? If you have a resume. Yes, yeah. You send your resume to twenty five people, you get twenty five different opinions. Mm-hmm. You talk to twenty five different VCs, you get twenty five different opinions. How do you like, you know, take their advice and integrate it to your to your pitch deck? Like, how do you know? Well, he, this person might mean good, but I don't know about the advice they're giving me. Yeah. How do you, how do y'all work through all that kind of stuff? Okay, so at first we would go into these VC meetings and take every word not personally, but very seriously. And so when someone would give us advice, we would drop everything that day, go back and reformat our deck, re-upload it to our 
data room. It was a whole process. But as we went on and met with more and more people, there are so many different factors that go into how people give you advice. Like maybe the meeting wasn't going quite quite so well and then they just kind of stop it and offload all this advice to you. And so you kind of have to sort through um, the verbose like advice that people will give you and decide whose advice you may take a little bit more seriously than someone else's and then incorporate um, what you feel is appropriate. But it has taken us a lot of time to understand what we who we want to listen to and why. And how do y'all deal with this? You no, know, people always say, "No, don't take it personal. It's just no business." Mm-hmm. But like, how do you deal with it? Like, someone says, "Like, basically, your baby's ugly. This isn't a good business." Because, like, <laughs> you're not supposed to take it personal. But it's like, this is my baby. I, I've worked in this for but, a long time, yeah. and you're telling me it's a piece of crap. Like, how do y'all how do y'all deal with that? Yeah, it can sting a little bit. Um, we had one person early on stop us about two minutes into our presentation and say, "This is a mom and pop story," and and I just stopped the conversation right there and said, well, let's just talk about your weekend then. Like, mm-hmm. we don't need to mm-hmm. keep going. So a little bit about sensing the room and kind of just changing direction if you need to. Um, but about taking it so personally, you just have to have really thick skin. and Like, thank you, sir. May I have another pretty and, much? Yeah, yeah. And so I... You know, I think Melinda would say this too, but of the two of us, I definitely can walk away and just forget about it a little bit. And I've just trained myself that this piece of advice didn't matter. I'm okay with that. You know, people can be harsh and I know my vision and I know where we want to go. And sometimes she'll hang on to it a little longer, which is normal, (laughs) right? Like, how can you not? It's your baby. And so a lot of times we'll have to talk each other out of things like, hey, no, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Let's move on. Like pump each other up a little bit. I know one thing I was first got a pre-COVID if you saw these pitch competitions in Seattle. Yeah. You know these pitch competitions, right? Like one, you know, however long it is. It's like there was one person in the crowd like like try to play, you know, jump the chump or <laughs> prove how smart they are than anyone else, right? You know. Yeah. And you just know they're not coming from a good place, right? And of yeah. course the, the entrepreneurs just say no. Thank you for your feedback. I appreciate it, you know. Mm-hmm. But you know what they really want to say is like, you know, <laughs> nothing not so kind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. We've we've heard some of that before and and yeah, you're right. Sometimes we have to try to cut it off early and say, thanks, thanks for that feedback, but let's um, move on. <laughs> give us some advice on growing companies since you're you know, such an expert at it. Oh, oh gosh. So I think the biggest thing is, um, you know, you can do as much marketing as you want to. And well, I'm the marketing person, so I'm a big proponent, but your product has to be outstanding. And where I'm going with this is people have to talk about your product to each other. So you're talking, so, about, so, you, you're talking about the thing they say, no, you can't put uh, lipstick on a pig, right? Exactly. That's exactly right. So you have to have a product that solves a problem, that provides value, that people think about again and again. And when you have that, growth becomes much easier. And so you have to find that product market fit and have people talking about it. So how y'all deal with this, you know, because you know, marketing, they're doing their thing, yep. the tech people are doing their thing, you know, and sometimes I don't think they match up right. Cause Mark says, we need this, like in two days, so I can sell it. Yes. The tech people say, well, that's not a product roadmap. Where's this coming from, you know? So how do y'all like sync oh, everything? Oh, that's a week? great question. So we have a team sync every Monday and this is, This is the part of our operating rhythm where the marketing team brings forth customer feedback and we sit with engineering and we all talk about 
does the feedback merit changes to the product roadmap? And every quarter we set up, you know, a big goal for the company. Like this last quarter, you know, it was sharing and next it will be developing accounts and, and things like this. Well, so we have to marry, you know, customer feedback with our big goals for that quarter as well. So we, we actually have like a form where the marketing team fills it out and we say, okay, what was the piece of feedback? Who was it from? Kind of determining how much weight it should hold, if that makes sense. Uh, uh, how big is this feature in terms of engineering work? How far will it derail the team? And what types of benefits will it give to our customer? Will it benefit our current ideal customer profile? Will it benefit an ideal customer? customer profile in the future um so we have to weigh all of that together and how y'all prevent user creep because a lot of users have like that feature they want but it's probably not the best feature for the company growth of the time yeah i think all of us uh at proxy are from major tech companies uh and so we are very we're hyper aware of scope creep and we try not to let it happen i i know that may not be totally valuable advice, but we're very conscious about it. And we make sure that, um, you know, someone might have a really good piece of feedback, but we can put it in the roadmap for the future or put it in a backlog, make sure we hold on to it. But that doesn't mean we need to act on it right now. So several four questions, like for people not know, need, need, need to learn, like what is product market fit? How, how do you even get there? Like, how do you even know you have product market fit? Like, I think you'll just know. That's, no, that's how everyone, everyone yes. says, you know, but what if someone is like stubborn, like the numbers aren't in, but I just know the market needs this. Like, how do you make someone, you know, like, no, it's not product market fit. Everyone says, what What? what someone say? Like, you know, and plus you'll, you'll get so much, so many customers, you can't keep up. Exactly. You know? Yep. So when you reach product market fit, it means you found the exact or the right customer profile that you're marketing to and that you're solving a problem that they have. You'll know because your growth numbers will shoot up. You'll know because people can't stop recommending it to one another. It will become almost a buzz, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you, I, I know that's tough, but I think you just, you know, when you've, when you've gotten there, people want to pay you for what you're giving them, even if it's free, mm-hmm. like for what we have, we have people coming to us all the time saying, I want to pay you anyway. How can I send me an invoice? And we're like, well, <laughs> you know, we're pre-revenue right now, but <laughs> we'll work on that. We're not so. going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, um, you know, people will become super fans whenever you get product market fit. And I strongly believe that you have to have a product to have product market fit, so if that MVP, makes sense. You have, to, you have MVP, to have something out in the world. You know, I I don't know that you can tell someone that you've had product market fit if it's just an idea and you've mm. talked to some people who say it might work. I mean, that's, that's this idea of validation, right? Yeah, exactly. So you've got to have that MVP out in the world. You've got to do beta testing. You've got to do stuff. beta testing. And who knows, you may have product market fit when you've got your beta out there. Mm. Either way, if it's a beta or a... In live product, I think you'll know when you have product market fit. It'll feel the same in a, whatever product stage that you're in. How long should somebody work on product market fit? Like, so, so to stop saying no, we, we're doing this for six months, we don't have product market fit, we need to go back to the tape, the drawing board, so to speak. How long mm. should like focus on like product market fit before they say, okay, we have it, or man, we don't, let's go back to the drawing board? It's funny because I was just reading about this this morning. Um, The 
problem here is that you can't give up too early, but there's a fine line between waiting too long, too. I think you have to stay. Let's see. How do we talk about this? Um, you you probably have to get your product out there in enough different marketing channels with <laughs> enough different experimentation in those channels with statistically relevant numbers before I think you could ultimately give up. So I would say, you know, product market fit, well, kind of rambling here. Product market fit is probably a combination of both the actual product and your marketing efforts for for that company. And so I think you have to test both things experiment with both things and test both. So you're going to need to alter your product a little bit here and there in order to try to find product market fit and also change your marketing up and try different channels uh, and experiment uh, to find product market fit. I think when you have a combination of the product and the marketing that's going well, then you'll you'll know that you've, you're experiencing the right type of growth. So you talked about this earlier when you talked about the user feedback. But how do y'all do, how do y'all do your product roadmap? Yeah, so we actually like what tools do we do it in, or like how do we sit together and okay, all of it. Okay, so we have <laughs> that's great. So we have a quarterly planning meeting where my entire team, everyone at Proxy, contractors included, we all sit down and we talk about we first of all we recenter on the long term vision. So where do we want to be in five years, ten years? and then work our way back from that. And you know, as we get older as a company, those conversations become a little bit quicker because we, you know, the five and 10 year visions never, you know, don't change, but you still, we still recenter on those every quarter and then work our way backwards. So um, as we're working our way backwards, we come down to like a year view and then a quarterly view. We have our team, our all-up team meeting once per quarter for an extended amount of time. We call it an offsite, um, and we all sit together and work our way all the way back uh, from the ten-year view to like the quarter view, and then we sit down as engineering team and like the operating and marketing operations and marketing side of the houses, and we sing. We kind of have a brainstorm on how are we going to make that quarterly goal happen. Uh, and then we turn back around to the team and we sync on all of those goals and we kind of um, suss through them, if that makes sense, because there are some good ideas and bad ideas. But it's a brainstorm, so it's all part of the process. But we narrow in on the you know top X goals mm-hmm. that need to happen, maybe five or ten for the quarter to make our dreams become a reality. <laughs> and then... Um, we, we at the end of that meeting, we have a plan for the quarter. And um, we've been doing that for two quarters now. Um, and I'm happy to say that um, it's, it's been a really a great process. Then we turn around and we take those goals and put them into Notion. If you've worked in that tool before, it's, it's a really great way to visualize uh, your goals and keep track of everything, assign dates, uh, people who need to do certain action items. And then even more tactically, every week we have a quick staff meeting or team meeting, whatever you want to call it, where the entire proxy team sits together and we walk through what's been done for the week, what's on deck for the coming week. We sort out what might be an issue, what may not be able to fit 
in the next sprint, so to speak, and go from there. So next step on this, this is what I call like the unsexy stuff. Like, you know, you have yeah. to do the taxes, the admin stuff, the bookkeeping, <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. How, how do y'all deal with that? Mm-hmm. That's me. That's, you, that's all you. <laughs> the unsexy and, stuff. Yeah. And we have uh, an awesome teammate named Lacey who works on some of this as well. Um, both she and I have run different uh, smaller businesses mm-hmm. in the past. So we have a pretty good idea of operationally what needs to happen, accounting, finance, tax-wise, and then just operations like different legal requirements or contracts that need to be signed. And so um, she and I will sit down and just make sure that we've kind of got all that mapped out in Notion as well, just like the rest of our goals. So we treat it very systematically. So let's talk about this, like, you know, startups are not easy, they're difficult. And I think I think a lot of startup founders underestimate how hard it is to get people to come work for them, right? Because first of all, you got to sell your vision. You got to convince someone, hey, you know, especially your pre-C pre-revenue, hey, come work for me for free for like six months a year. <laughs> a lot of times you got funding. And then like I like to say, like, even if you tell someone, hey, I'm going to give you X amount of equity in the company, right? I mean, to me, that's the same as telling someone, hey, the pot of gold, I think the rainbow this year is right. It's probably not going to happen, right? And I know y'all just bought on, I think, a director engineer for Facebook. Yeah. I mean, I mean, to me, it had to be a, a great hire, big hire for y'all. It was. Like, like, how do you convince someone, like, from a Facebook, they have to get, get probably paying like, $10 million an hour, right? Some crazy amount of money at Facebook. A lot, to, yes. To quit that, and then, like, I'm sure you're paying them now because like, y- y'all got funny, but yep. I, I'm guessing not as much as Facebook. Like, how do you have mm-hmm. a have conversation? Hey, here's our vision. Here's our dream. You know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So we sat down with Maddie, our amazing director of engineering. Uh, she she was from Facebook. Um, and we talked all about where Melinda and I, or how Melinda and I wanted to impact the world in, you know, two, so, five, so ten picture, years. Big really big picture. And we're, we haven't talked about that too much, but we're really convicted about how we can try to help impact the way that local knowledge is displayed and how people navigate the world. And when we told her our idea and sat down with her for a prolonged couple of hours, she was immediately understood the concept, immediately understood how we wanted to make this impact. But we knew we had her interested when she texted us, you know, the next morning Mm -hmm. and said, hey, I stayed up all night thinking about this idea. Um... And that's how Melinda and I are, too, even to this, you know, months and months and years in working on this product where we we just get so excited about it. So we sold her on the vision and then we talked to her about what she wanted to see out of her own career a little bit and tried to match that up with what we had available. So many many people don't do that. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. I'm telling you, so many people don't do that. There's like they hire hire someone and it's just worked for me for 25 years. No professional growth. Yeah. Yeah, Oh, no, no, no. Oh my goodness. That's, I just had never thought about that. So in every business I've run, I've made sure that all of my leadership team, you know, the job, or the literal responsibilities that they're going to be doing on the daily at least contribute to where they want to go in the long oh, term. You'd be surprised, like my pet peeve, like so many people, like they'll quit a job and the boss be like, hey, Jason, you're disloyal. Why you do this for me, right? My thing is like, if if your person left to have a better paying job, better job, like suppose someone's a senior developer for you and they left to be a CTO at a, at a startup. Mm-hmm. That's a great thing, right? Yep. But so many people don't think like that. Oh, oh my goodness. 
Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. you definitely do it right. In yeah. Opinion, yeah. So we definitely made sure that um, her roles uh, align with what she viewed of herself mm-hmm. in the future. And, you know, even if proxy didn't work out, which I, I think I have every reason to believe that it will, but that she would be making a forward movement mm-hmm. in her career and that we could support her in the direction that she wanted to go. So I think that was really important. And then, you know, we had to talk to her about equity versus cash. And provide some options on the choice that Mm -hmm. she could make between the distribution of the two. And, you know, you can only afford to do that as a startup with a couple of employees. And so we had to make a smart bet that this would work out, that we were willing to go on the line for this one. And we made the, you know, made the right choice. She's amazing. Um, But I think that helped as well when we were bringing her on board, have some autonomy in that, that compensation package. Yes, and um, I'm guessing you plan like bring on more employees pretty soon and have like a lot of fast growth pretty soon. Probably after the next raise, okay. we have a pretty robust team of not only full time folks but also folks in the Philippines that help us scale. And so we feel strongly that we don't need to hire until our mm-hmm. next raise. Um, but yes, we will be making hires as soon as we raise again. So let's talk about the fans of being an entrepreneur, right? Like the, the, the numbers <laughs> out there, everyone fails, only one 10%, what are the numbers you say? And everyone's like, oh no, I'm not gonna fail. I mean, why? I mean, of course it's good and bad, right? It's good to have the fantasy of soaps because you gotta have the the belief and you know, why work the long hours and everything you have to believe. But then again, it's kind of kind of productive because like if you spend three, four or five years on a startup, it fails. I mean, you know, like how long it is, like that's five years, you can oh, be working yeah. at Amazon, oh, totally. five years doing something else. So that's so a cost benefit too, right? Like, mm-hmm. so why, I mean, not you personally, why do you, no. why do you, I, I, like I was on a podcast a month ago or last week I said, hey, it's almost like if you're an entrepreneur, you got to take a mental health uh, test, right? Because like you got to be kind of crazy to do this, right? <laughs> you have to be a little uh, bit I, I crazy. A little crazy, right? Yeah. So just talk about you know being in the fantasy world, so to speak, having a belief, you know, like maybe you talk to like 50 investors, all they say no, but you keep on going and going, right? Like that resilience you have to have. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're absolutely right to a certain extent. Is it's a little bit crazy if you're an entrepreneur, you have to have a a, a bit of an edge, but I think. For me, it's um, it's kind of in my in my blood. I've had a business going since I was maybe five or six years old, and I've always had this really constant belief that I could build something that would impact people in some way, no matter what business it is. And so, I think it's all about that belief that you can impact people's lives and that you can make your own life exponentially better as well or at least there's that potential yes, right yes. like you there's incredible risk involved but who are some marketing people that you follow okay um uh amy porterfield and emily hirsch are probably my top two favorites they are more i want to say like on the whole fa- the digital course or like soft skills mm. like part of the internet, um, but they also have all of these pieces of advice that will apply to any business. And they've given me a lot of, um, you know, they kind of fuel my fire in terms of investigation. So, so. W- what do you do for fun? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I Okay, so I, um, 
I'm probably a major weirdo and I love working on whatever business I'm working mm-hmm. on and I'll do that oh, all it. day long. <laughs> but if I, ha- you know, okay, let's, let's be real though. So I'll go on jogs or mm-hmm. I have two little kids right now. Mm-hmm. So they're four and two. And so a lot of my free time gets dedicated to them. But aside from that, I love being outside, being physical, hanging out with my friends. Um, yeah. And is that and so how do you take care of yourself? Like how do you make sure your wellness is like you don't burn out okay. that kind of stuff? Yeah, definitely. So I work out um, for a minimum of thirty minutes every day. So whether that's a strength workout or a cardio workout, it may extend all the way to an hour. But as long as I get that thirty minute uh, physical activity in, I feel pretty good. Um, also, as I've gotten just a little bit older, um, I have been concentrating more on a healthy intake, like a healthy diet, and that has helped immensely. Uh, so just in terms of like energy and feeling good about my workouts and and just being a good, a present human being, whether it's here or with my kids or when I'm in the office, um, those things really contribute. Oh, and then I've been on a major kick to sleep eight hours a night, oh. and, which is kind of incredible. So for most of my career until maybe a year or two ago, about a year ago, I was only sleeping like five hours a night since call, since I was in university just because, you know, you can allow work to take up as much yeah. time as you want it to. Um but then upon, you know, listening to podcasts about health and reading about mm-hmm. health, like sleep is just the end all be all in terms of your long longevity. So I decided that had to become a priority. Definitely. So go back to director engineering, like how do y'all decide like to target her so to speak, right? Why, why, do y'all, why do y'all go after her versus like other people you go after? So she was a referral, mm-hmm. um, which means a lot. Um, you have to trust someone. And so we probably place the highest amount of mm-hmm. relevancy on on the fact that she was a referral and that people knew the quality of her work, knew the quality of her leadership capabilities. And so that's how we came across her. So you know, as an entrepreneur, the CEO, you probably have like, a th- I'll make this like, probably have a list of 100 things to do tomorrow. <laughs> like, how do you make sure you do one, two, three versus jumping to number 95? Yeah, well, I do just that. I <laughs> <laughs> I write down my top three priorities, but that is really hard to sort very through. Hard, very yeah, hard. it's really hard. So um, I back to Notion, I have our marketing and ops roadmap in Notion for the quarter. And then I break it down by month. And then I uh, prioritize that list by month. Um, and so I know as as chunks of free time come open, I go straight to the top of that list to pull the next item off. Um, I've got to say that there are probably 30 items on my list for June. Uh, seven are in progress right now. Maybe two are completed. What day are we on? We're early June, so doing okay. Um, and then the rest are not started yet. Um, but as I get chunks of time, every day I'll pull forward the next project and at least make sure to get it started. So now on Privacy LinkedIn page, you have like, I think like two or three interns working for y'all. Yeah. Can you talk about why you decided to bring interns and what they bring to your company? Oh, absolutely. They bring so much energy, a fresh perspective. Um, you know, that goes both ways. Like we have to teach a little bit too. Like slow down a little bit, young buck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you, yeah. You're not, you're not, a, you're not the CEO. <laughs> <laughs> but good thoughts, but you're not the CEO. Yeah. And so sometimes we'll have to slow them down a little or just make sure that they're 
priority list is or that their list of things to do is prioritized and that they understand the deliverables that they need to work toward. But overall, they've been really incredible assets to our company. So we've had one software developer intern. She's from the University of Washington and just outstanding. Now, no one poach her. Okay, <laughs> she's ours. <laughs> she actually agreed to work full-time for us this summer, and she's part-time for us throughout the year, which is an incredible arrangement. She's grown a lot this year. Um, been really good for us. Then we also had a um, GIS major, uh, and she was also just fantastic for us. She brought a little more depth to our uh, um, to like article writing mm-hmm. for, about GIS. It's just not something I have a whole lot of time yeah. to take on, and neither does my co-founder. And so she was able to dedicate quite a bit of her time uh, to writing articles for us about GIS. So Nick, talk about the term, the term growth hacker, because I think growth, ha- growth hacker, some, some people yeah. are like really negative about us and real positive. What, what does that really mean? What is a growth hacker? Is it positive, negative, or...? been trying to figure that out myself. Uh, so, you know, I I think it's positive. I think growth hacking is all about experimentation, and that's something we're really passionate about as at Proxy, um, and that I'm really passionate about myself. Um, so I think on the whole, I would view it positively, um, but as long as you have structure to the hacking. <laughs> <laughs> and I think people can get carried away with You know, if you do get funded, there are a million different ways you could spend your money and you could kind of go haywire spending your money in all these different ways to get new customers. But it's all about having an educated hypothesis on what you're going to get out of that investment, what type of, you know, how many, what kind of customers you're going to get, and then revising the plan if it doesn't work out. That's another good point. Talk about how, how y'all decide how to spend money. Like, like me, me, me second in the past, I'll like, okay, I don't need this platform, but it's 50% off for six months. I, I'm sure I'm using a couple months. Six <laughs> months come, I've never used it. I've quote unquote raised all the money, right? Everything's like, you no, know, 10, 15, $20 a month, you know? Yeah. But adds up. It's a lot of stuff. To be, oh, man, I, I, I don't know. What, what am I doing? I know I had that, right? So, yeah. talk about the process of like deciding what to spend money on, not spend so money I on. So, I have a finance background, and so does one of our employees. And we're big on fiduciary duty and making sure that we spend our money super wisely. So, First of all, for subscriptions, we have calendar notices that come up every month around the time when you can back out of them. That's that's smart. Yeah. And so every time we sign up, it's a company policy that you put on a calendar invite to to applicable parties that says, like, hey, we need to reevaluate this subscription on this day. And if it's not really doing us good, then we need to back out. And if it's, you know, an obvious benefit to us, we can just ignore the calendar invite and keep moving. Uh, so every month we review budget to actuals, we review um, our forecast, what revise the forecast, how we want to spend the money moving forward and what would be the most valuable. So it's actually kind of an in-depth, yeah, we spend, it's, it's, we spend it's like a chunk of time y- on y- it. Y'all have a system for it. Most yeah. people don't. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I think that probably comes from um, my last business I ran was this local services business. And it was landscape installation here in the Seattle area. And that is an incredibly uh, cash-driven business. You owe your employees a lot of money. You owe vendors a lot of money. You have to buy a lot of equipment and materials. And so um, I think I'm pretty focused on finances after that experience because you have to make sure 
that the AR and yeah. the AP workout, and it, it can really be um, difficult. Can you talk some more about your own entrepreneur journey and especially how sure. you went from corporate to startup world yeah. and how that whole thing worked for you? I can, yeah. So I'll kind of start way back when. I've had the entrepreneurial bug forever, as I mentioned. my I had a pretty robust like pet sitting business when I was a kid. I saved up a lot of money and then had a pretty robust swim lesson business when I was a teenager. And I think those two experiences still play into my journey today because it gave me that itch like I can I can help someone with a problem and I can make money doing it and I just I you know that's just an incredible experience so uh, when I was in college I majored in finance at Texas A&M University and after school I went to work for Bank of America in finance uh, at their corporate headquarters in Charlotte North Carolina (laughs) quite an experience um it's a long story, but for personal reasons, I ended up out here in Seattle, um, and I ended up working for Boeing in financial planning and analysis. But early on in my professional career, I was nurturing a little business that I had started senior year of college, and that business was called Select Asis, like select a sister. I know, I know, <laughs> you can laugh now, um, but it was a sorority rec- recruitment software. Um, We ended up working with more than half the sororities in the country before we sold. And so that started senior year of college and it extended until my late mid to late 20s before I sold it. Um, There ended up being five of us working on it in the end, but we were able to work on it after our corporate jobs because so much of the process was automated. The product itself was an amazing solution for the problem at hand. And word of mouth, talk about product market fit. It was just, it was the slam dunk. And so a lot of our work just didn't take that long in terms of like actual hours spent. So I worked on that business just in the evenings for many years. Um, but that was a great a great experience. I did everything from accounting to marketing to sales to customer service and traveling a little bit for conferences um, to support that product. And then other people were working on the tech side of it. So how do y'all do this? No, no it's not like everybody, an entrepreneur or founder, people yeah. will say, Market is most important, product is most important, sales is most important, tech is most important. Like, how do you decide day to day what to focus on? What's your priority day to day? Or you just flip a coin and <laughs> or you just pick random numbers out and go with it? It's somewhere <laughs> in between those two statements. So, we, you know, there will be periods in business where you have a little bit of extra time and you can kind of create those prioritized lists for every different work stream like tech, marketing, ops, like here are the next 10 things each thing needs to do to move the business forward. I'm really big on working on the business, not in the business. My co-founder will tell you that my least favorite thing to do is emails. I just feel like it's working in, you know, pushing around paper. It's not it's not like taking a huge boulder and moving it up the hill. I mean, emails will help you get there, but you know what I'm saying. Yes, exactly. So I think, I think founders and any anyone in any business doing anything needs to be really careful about working in versus on the business. And so that's how I view prioritization, I think is what I'm trying to say. I'm really conscious about making sure we're moving the ball forward 
instead of just yes. pushing paper. So suppose someone's out there, they're like, man, here's a problem. I want to solve it. But yep. they've, done, they've done nothing else. They have no team, no part of market. I just have an idea they mm -hmm. want to solve, right? What advice do you have for them? I think the very first thing is building your MVP. Just don't do anything else until you have your MVP. Don't go set up a business legally. Don't go get an accountant or a lawyer or anything, in my opinion. Make your MVP and see if you can get people using it. Or if your ideal customer profile will even want to use it. That has got to be the first step. Um, so I would say first get the product out there. If you've got one person working on product and then you have some, you know, another person available, that person should be describing the product to people, seeing who may be the most interested. But I just I've I've seen too many people do the whole rigmarole mm -hmm. first. Set up a website you know, start grabbing a PR firm, you know, doing everything out of order, but you really have got to have that MVP working before you can move forward. Can you talk about y'all's experience for Techstars? It was like Techstars Seattle, right? It was, yeah, it was fantastic. Um, you, you just graduated from the recent class? You did, it like we a, did. You did, okay. Yeah, it was, we graduated in late Jan, early February. It's like, it's like three months longer, right? It was, okay. yeah. It was about 12-ish weeks. Um, we were connected to well, first of all, there are many workshops about how to start and run a business. Now, some of that I already, I personally already knew, but a lot of the people in Techstars um, hadn't built a business before. And so that was some really valuable content. Like I could see light bulbs going off all around the room, which is a great experience. And then we got connected to mentors in the Seattle area and beyond, which was incredible. So those are both mentors in terms of you know business leadership in the area or investor mentors. And then finally, we were taught how to build a pitch deck, how to pitch. That is a whole experience. And then how to uh, speak and conduct investor meetings and how to follow up with people and how to really create that pipeline and work through it over time. So you talked earlier about making sure like your employees like professionally developed in you know, the career path. Mm -hmm. How you make sure you're doing it for yourself and Melinda? That's a really good question. And maybe we have forgotten ourselves a little bit there. Um, I mean, like when Melinda, for example, she has to go from like, you know, being a CEO of a startup with five people, like, you know, hopefully yeah. a CEO of the company, like maybe three, 400 people, right? Right. So like, we're always asking questions. I think both of us, we have like a really strong set of mentors and we've never shied away from saying, okay, we have a gap in this area. We need to go find someone who knows about this. So I think in terms of like business development and figuring out how to run a business, we, both of us are always probing for who knows how to do it best and can they teach us how to do it. I think in terms of professional development, we haven't explicitly talked about that too much, she and I. However, for me, per I can't answer for her, but for me personally, I know that every day, as long as I wake up and think, holy cow, I don't know how to do this next thing, <laughs> then I'm being challenged yeah. enough and I'm that's where I'm the most happy. So. There's not one day that's gone by where I haven't thought, oh, I know how to do everything on my to-do list today. So it's so exciting. Who, who's y'all's like, I mean, quote unquote, perfect customer? Okay. Uh, so I, the perfect customer is uh, like a branch of the Hilton. So, and it would be the front desk. 
at the Hilton more specifically. Let me tell you why. So anyone can come to Proxy, any business or individual can come to our site and create a free interactive customizable map. So the way that Hilton would use this is for their guests and especially at the front desk. You know, when you get hungry and you're at a hotel, you run downstairs and you're like, A, how do I get out of the front door? I forget how I came in. B, where am I going when I turn out the front door and I'm hungry? And usually you're on foot and you need some expertise about what's in the local area. Well, of course, not the people at the front desk probably live in the area and they probably have built up relationships with businesses in the area in terms of referral. And so whenever we... Um, you know, whenever proxy comes in handy. So the front desk will develop a map. Let's say it's Hilton in Seattle. They'll develop a map of Seattle. They'll mark the Hilton where people are staying. They may highlight that map point. And then they'll highlight everything that they recommend, like restaurants or activities or major landmarks in the Seattle area. And then they can write as much as they want to in those descriptions for each of the places provide pictures, soon to be video, soon to be date time. Um, so there are a lot of things that are coming down the pipeline for that. Now, and an, another couple of reasons why Hilton is an ideal customer is because they probably want to white label their whatever they're handing out mm-hmm. to people. So when they hand out a map, the way that they're doing it now is it's a printed PDF map and it's branded per the Hilton, you know, like it looks all nice and it's, it's, branded just for them so our maps can be branded just for whatever business you'll never know it's a proxy map we don't want any credit for that it's it's their technology and their experience that they're giving to customers the next thing is that we provide analytics to businesses which is incredibly important as we help them understand people converting on their recommendations so hilton may want to know I, I recommended, you know, I gave this map to 100 people. How many converted uh, to XYZ restaurant? Did they actually go there? And so we're providing them that information, which is an incredible, you know, as they develop business relationships. It's like, the one who would pay, pay for it then. Yeah, yeah. But they don't today. But um, that's, the, yeah, that, the that would be the idea that different, you know, the number of seats as uh, like Hilton, if they have 100 people using it, you'd pay per seat or something like this. But additionally, uh, what we're trying to solve here is um, because we, we have such strong analytics on location-based conversion is allowing our map makers to make money from having the maps too. So just like a product influencer today can make money on recommending physical products via apps like Like to Know It, or Amazon affiliate links, there's no really great way for people to make money on their location-based recommendations. And that's where Proxy uh, sees part of our business operating in the future is solving for that problem as well. Can this happen? And maybe it can, maybe it can. But like, suppose you have two restaurants, an Italian and a French restaurant. Can a Italian restaurant go to someone and say, hey, I'll pay you X amount of dollars to put me on your map. And on top of that, even more money to keep this French restaurant off the map. Oh. Well, we haven't ever received that part of the question before, but me, you know, if they negotiate a deal with the map maker mm-hmm. outside of proxy, so that's, then that's, so that's sure. That's between them and the map maker. That then. is, but okay. in the future, we would facilitate uh, sponsorship agreements and things like okay. that through a checkout process in the platform. I guess you, you, you'll get a percentage of that then, right? Eventually we would. Okay. Um, so, so how long has a proxy been in business, so to speak? We've been full-time since October of last year. I sold my business and Melinda dropped out of her PhD program to work on it. 
We've worked on it part-time since October 2020. And the progress you've made, you think y'all are like progress you've made, what do you, what you think should be, I think behind schedule, ahead of schedule? Oh, I think we're okay. I think we're doing really well. Um, Maddie, our new director of engineering has been incredibly speedy in terms of getting things done. We also have a couple of contract engineers as well. And so she's been fantastic in terms of assigning tasks, understanding what blockers are, and moving that product roadmap along as fast as possible. This summer, later this year, we'll be rolling out an app to make app to make maps discoverable. And so what I mean by that is Hilton could make their map public. King 5 can make their map public. Um, you know, a local content creator can make their map public. And hell, Jason, you can even make your <laughs> map public. And so you'll have, you, and all of these map views will will definitely um, refer people back to the, the map creator and allow the map creator to, you know, link out to their other platforms if they want to. Um, but anyway, it'll be a tool where people can land in Seattle or wherever and see all of these maps that people have created of the area. And then choose based on either the title of the map or the map creator themselves which maps they want to be looking at so i might trust a local hike you know some influencer yeah, exactly. who loves to hike and i'm going to trust their map about hiking rather than some like you know, Google search about trailheads. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Versus like foodie, like we might be traveling Some local to Austin. Instagram foodie, foodie yes. Austin, yeah. Yeah, like you're going to trust their recommendations over like just Googling restaurants near me or yelping restaurants mm. near me. And so by allowing people to layer maps of people that they trust and saving map points, kind of like Pinterest, of from people that yeah, they trust. Yeah, I definitely trust. see the Pinterest thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a lot like Pinterest. So you can create your own guide to the area. We'll ha- eventually we'll have like a checklist of, you know, you've gotten through all of the places you've wanted to go in a certain area. But um, we're really excited about how to help people navigate the world in a way that's different uh, than Google Maps or Yelp in the sense that it's not ads first, if that makes sense. So how do you do this? You know, like, you know, some entrepreneurs, they say they work 100 hours a week, some work nine to five, some <laughs> do different things, you know. Yeah. <laughs> You know, some don't take any days off. So what, what do you do? Like, do you work seven days a week, 12 hours a day? Do you take weekends off? Do you take one day a week off? Like, what do you, how do you do that? Yeah, so I have two little kids. And so they're, they have to be my, they're my priority. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a major life switch for me. Um, I used to work mm, minimum 12 hour day, like minimum 12 hour days, easy. And I loved it. And there was no, I wasn't tired and I was excited and there was no problem. But now um, I definitely have to take most of the weekend off. Um, I will tell you that I work every single day of the week in some capacity though. Uh, in Monday through Friday, obviously nine to five. And then again, at, after they go to bed. So talk about this, you know, the stereotype is, you know, the three white male, you know, college dropouts from Stanford, start a company, right? <laughs> But talk about the channel, like you said, you, you have a family, right? Talk about the yeah. channel, like, I mean, you're all in with the company, but you know, yeah. not, not really, right? You have family, other priorities, yeah, right? right? Talk about that. Another thing that people don't talk about either, like, like life still goes on, right? Like, hopefully people are still washing clothes, you know? <laughs> hopefully people are still you know, getting, getting the oil change, you know? Like, you, okay. still, you still gotta do life, all right? All right, so I can tell you, I can tell you these things. So, um, I will say first and foremost, that I have a lot of help and I forget who I first heard this from. I think from a woman named Jenna Kutcher, who's someone else I listen to a lot in the marketing world. 
But she said that a lot of times these famous people like Joanna Gaines or like other women who women might look up to never talk about the help that they have. And so she makes it a priority to recognize the help um, because you're, you know, if you are running, uh, I don't want to say successful, but if you're running a business that is making larger impact, um, then you will need help in terms of time. So I ha- we, we do happen to have people that clean our house mm-hmm. and we do happen to have someone that mows our lawn. And yes, I still fold the laundry and do the dishes <laughs> and vacuum every day, you know, still do a lot of those littler tasks, but we do have help in meaningful ways in our life. We have an amazing nanny um, who is at home with my kids and keeping them happy and healthy during the day. and. Um, so there's there's no doubt about it. I don't think anyone could work at this at this level without help. Yeah, I agree. Um, so next question. Well, you already talked about this some, but can you go like more detail, like how the company got started, what you're focused on now, and what yeah. your like, big-term version sure. is, is, is yeah. for going yeah. forward? So uh, we started back in October of 2020, and if everyone can remember, that was still during the pandemic. Happened. Something happened, happened then. <laughs> <laughs> Something that we don't want to talk about was happening. And so um, if, if you're a parent out there, you know that parents are real crazy about giving their kids really nice holiday experiences. Uh, and so it was Halloween of 2020 when Proxy started. And my co-founder was in a Facebook group here in Seattle for parents. And one of the parents said, hey, if you are doing COVID-safe trick-or-treating, i.e. you're leaving out a bowl of candy or you're doing trick-or-treating through these things called candy shoots, like pipes where you send candy down, um, then you should leave your uh your address in a comment here on the Facebook group. And so hundreds of people were leaving their addresses in this Facebook post. Well, my co-founder who has this experience in geospatial tool building was looking at these addresses like, this doesn't make any sense. You know, what are you gonna do as a parent? Type in the first address, take your kid there and then look at the second address only to find out that the third is right next to the first. Like Mm -hmm. this, you know, it's not visualized, right? And so she took some steps to get these addresses onto a map to help people understand how many were in a row and how many, you know, just different areas of the neighborhood where you could go trick-or-treating and hit a volume of homes. And then she made it to where she strung together a couple of different existing tools on the marketplace and made it so that people could add their homes to the map. And so people were adding their homes to the map. Um and it took off. It, 2,500 homes added themselves to the map here in Seattle, and we were on Good Morning America. Yes, and, I saw that, yeah. Yeah, and it was incredible, right? It was like this mom saves Halloween story. But she and I have been friends for about 10 years since our undergrad um, time at Texas A&M, and we both moved up here for separate reasons and had staying touch and as you know, had worked on different things together. But... Um, she called me up knowing that I had built a couple of businesses and was like, Chelsea, I think something is going on here. Like, what do you think about it? And the more and more we continued to probe into this area of mapping and looking at what else is provided in the marketplace, the more we kept finding gaps. The light bulbs start going yes. off on and on, on. Oh my goodness. So, you know, the first thing that we found out was that one of our main features didn't exist anywhere else. And that feature is crowdsourcing maps. 
And so that's one of our main features today still is that crowdsourcing feature. Uh, and then we just continued to build out features as we continued to get more customers. Like King5 ended up using us to map out Best of Western Washington Awards. And Curiosity, which is a news publication, has used us to you know map out 10 things to do this weekend or your guide to X region or things like this. And as we continued to work with those partners over time, we discovered more features that needed to be added on which is how we ended up coming to things like location-based conversion and affiliate uh, links for for um, location-based conversion as well. So yeah, that's what led us into our current product. And we have 4,000-ish maps in the market today, and we're growing kind of exponentially each month, which is really exciting. Um, in near term, we are launching our app to make maps discoverable to where you can layer your maps, save maps, um, save different points on maps, create like playlists of you, if you will, of places so, to go. So we're laying a map on it. Like suppose you have a map yep. and I want to lay my map on, on yours. Yep. Do, do you have to give me permission? Can you say, no, I don't want Jason's map on mine? <laughs> no, because it would just be in your app. Like okay. I would never know that you okay. layered my map as okay. long as I made it public in the first place. So. Okay. You'll have to mark your map as public, of course, okay. uh, before they'll be provided to the masses. But, okay. Yeah. So, and then, you know, in the longer term, how do we, how do we personalize recommendations about where to go as we evolve our product? Because presumably we'll have millions of people on the platform and we'll be able to understand from all of this data that we're collecting, you know, what Jason's really into versus what Chelsea is really mm -hmm. into. And hopefully we can help you navigate your world in a more personalized way in the future. And even in the longer term, how do we use like AR to integrate with yeah, mapping and I definitely see walking that. I definitely and see the future, yeah. yes and you know there are some really uh cool features maybe not ar but like inventory um integration like actually like, actually like an ar vr personal assistant hey jason yeah. follow this path you know go here for this go here or for like, that we know that your schedule on your calendar says you're going from home to work but we also know that you need groceries or you know like in here are the top places yes. to stop on your way and in, in between the places you're already going so or like if you're traveling to a new place what are your interests um and how can we help you better understand wh where to go but the crux of this whole thing we think is about local knowledge and exposing local knowledge to the masses too. So even if we are showing you cool places to go in like Maui based on your interests, the idea is that we would be pulling this information from user in user data that was input because people know more about physical, it's called uh, volunteer geographic information. People will put what they know about the real world on a map, but how do we take that data and show it to you? Um, in a way that makes sense. And it's more than just ads because, you know, some mom and pop shop may not even be on the internet, right? So it takes a community to really expose the knowledge. And did you say earlier that you're, you're in 16 states right now? We're every global. Global. Mm -hmm. So like, it's someone from like from Dallas, Texas and go on the map. It's mm -hmm. a, it's a, so it's not like you have to go to each location like, you know, and show people stuff it's like they that's just right join. Well, so right so let me 
paint. Uh, sorry, that was fairly unclear. So right now, our product is a map making technology. Anyone from anywhere can go make a map about anywhere in the whole world. And we do have maps going on in crazy locations. Um, in the future will be a place where you can come and discover other people's maps. So that's our transition. Okay. Right now, we're just a map creating, not just. I'm, it's a pretty powerful tool to create uh, customizable maps on. Yes. Um, next. So being an entrepreneur is not easy, right? Like, and how old are your kids again? Like four and two. Four they're and two, little. Yeah. They're little. Okay. So one thing, like if they're a little older, you, the, like just the, the role model you being for them, right? Like mm -hmm. dude, there's more to the one they're working on a fry, right? Mm -hmm. Think about how do you want to be a role model for them? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I want them to know first and foremost that they can set out to accomplish anything that they set their minds to. So they can come up with a dream or follow a pre-made path if they wish, but as long as they're wanting to do something that they can put in the hard work and the effort to go make that happen. And that hard work and effort are not mutually exclusive to the amount of love you can show someone. Or for instance, like when I think about staying home versus you know being in the workplace, like I don't think that's a mutually exclusive thing. Like I can show my kids that I love them immensely, but I also want to go accomplish my dreams. And I don't think it's an and or like an or statement. Yeah. I think it it's can a, be it's an, an and, and statement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I work really hard to show them um, that you can do both and you can show your family love and have things going on outside of the workplace. So I'll tell them I'm going to book club tonight or I'm going to go take a run. And that's really important for my mental and physical health and it and it will be for you too. So I try to show them these different facets of life in that you can if you put your mind to it and you manage yourself well that you can uh, can have it all so to speak. I mean, <laughs> they're really hard days, but and so you you already completed your beta testing, right? Yeah, we did. Can you talk about how you set it up, the challenges of doing it? Like, do you just reach out to random people? Was it people you already knew like talk about the beta testing? Yeah, that's a really good question. So, um we our MVP has was in action for about a year or so from just after Halloween 2020 to until like the next August ish of the next year. Um, and how did we get customers? Of course, family and friends. Mm. There's no doubt about it. Uh, individuals can use our maps and they were using our maps. And we got lots of feedback from them about things that didn't make sense, things that did make sense what they would want to see in a customized, personalized map. Um, now, in terms of businesses using our map, that was a little bit trickier to get beta testers. So um, we would use language like, we're conducting, we're a new company here, we're conducting pilots. Yeah, because a lot of people don't know what beta testing is, right? Yeah, so we, we, we haven't really used that word publicly yeah. very much, but we'll just say like, hey, we're piloting this program or That's a good word to use, piloting, yeah. Yep, and then uh, we say like in, in exchange for getting this product for free, we would love your feedback, and then we structure our feedback as much as we can in a succinct way. Um, so we've, that was, that was how we handled beta testing. And I got to tell you that we never publicly messaged that it was in beta. Okay. We just said, here's our product. And of course we knew that it wasn't 
what we wanted it to be eventually. There's a million things that we have have since improved and will improve, but um, I think that goes back to a conversation earlier about just getting your MVP out in the world and just acting like it's here to serve and tell me what you know. Give give us your suggestions. So how do y'all how do y'all do this? Like, you know, so many founders. It's not ready yet. It's not perfect yet, and they miss all the feedback, right? You oh, know, like yeah. you know, people say, you know, if you have something, if it's crap, put it out there and learn, right? Yeah. So, how do you? What's the advice you have for like people? Hey, you know, put put your put the ugly duckling out there. It's only going to get more beautiful. Oh, you just oh, you just have to do it, and and it's that way for both your product and your in, initial marketing, like your website, your initial emails to people. Internally, we talk about all the time, you know. Even today, you know, this isn't what we wanted to look like in a year from now, but we still have to move forward. Like we still have to put this email campaign out or we still have to put this piece of the product out. So I think it's all about just saying done is better than perfect and yeah. and uh, and pushing it out there. No, you can't put out complete crap. Um, people will <laughs> readily call you out <laughs> when you do. Um, but if you can put out, you know, just something, then... Um, uh, people are very forgiving, uh, when especially if they know you're they're piloting something for you. Next, let's talk about design. I think a lot of startup founders like they totally ignore design, right, or don't sure. want to do it. Like, like talk about your design process. Like, why why do you pick the colors you did? Okay. First of all, like all the time, like <laughs> sure. Before I started, I had no idea like there was like numbers that colors, like the RBX numbers. You want to call yeah. it right? Like, <laughs> I didn't know it was like twenty thousand blues and you know yeah. twenty thousand fonts. Yeah. Like, I had no idea if you put this button here and put pink, you get more clicks versus over here. Yeah. Can you talk about how y'all walk through all that? Oh my goodness. Sure. So in terms of product design, uh, I won't say too much there. My co-founder um, was actually getting her PhD in um, the HC, the Human Centered Design Program here at University of Washington. So she kind of has the product design part covered. She knows all about user testing and usability when it comes to like where to put buttons and where to put header, you know, she she's kind of an expert on the product side of things. But in terms of marketing and all of this, uh, in, in the branding itself, Melinda and I had many, many late nights in between October 2020 and summer of last year. Um, just, you know, we, we would like put out a page on our website and we would be on a Zoom call. She has a young child as well. So we would just be sitting there after their bedtime like, okay, change that button color to navy blue no change that font redo that sentence and so we would just sit there together mm -hmm. virtually like redoing everything that we had outward facing over and over over again like an unexplainable number of times and the same for our pitch deck so basically we just we just picked fonts colors schemes that we thought looked right at first and then sometime late last year, probably after we got funding from Techstars, we hired a branding person. She did our logo. She did our initial color scheme. She did our initial, you know, they give you like stock imagery to use and like give you that look and feel. And so we implemented hers and now we're about to hire someone a little more senior to her even to redo it again for us. We've recently hired a copywriter who specializes in having like a strong brand voice to help us redo all of our outward communications as well. So it's been a long process and every day, if you, not that anyone would come to our site every day, but if you do, you'll notice something probably different every day because we're always changing. 
and now it's a little more scientific. Like we have mouse flow installed, for instance, on our website to understand, is it called mouse flow? Uh, a tool to understand where people are clicking on our website. So we'll change button colors, we'll change fonts, we'll change headers just to see where people will click. So it's getting more scientific and more elevated, if you will, in terms of look, feel, voice, things like that. So you talked earlier, like, you know, you'll probably do some more hiring after you net fundraising. Yeah. Like, how you like, how you, how you going to decide, like, what, who to hire? Like, I know. What, like, like, <laughs> well, like, what should be number six, number seven, number eight? So like, do you need, like, yeah. three iOS app developers, six, seven, yeah. eight? So you're probably, like, how y'all, of course, you're there, too, like, we're raising enough money to hire everyone we want. But, you know, of course, that's probably <laughs> yeah. not going to happen, right? So how do yeah. you, like, like, balance all that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, there are just incredibly obvious pain points, and those are where we're going to hire first. So we have a pretty robust product roadmap, so we'll need a, at least two engineers to come in and work with Maddie full-time. You know, we have some contractor work right now. Um, and then on the other side of the house, uh, we have these budding partnerships with major brands and labels and technologies that are just starting right now. And so I can handle most of those. Melinda can handle some of those. We tag team some of these big names. Um, but shortly, we're not going to be able to. Yeah. And so I know for a fact that we'll have to hire like a senior SDR. We'll need to ha hire probably someone to support them even. How do we handle and grow um, our major brand partnerships is, is, is what I'm alluding to. So is there anything I should ask you that I haven't asked you yet or anything else you want to talk about? I think where my mind goes the most is the differences between, you know, owning a lifestyle business that's bootstrapped, or I guess those two are different things, you know, bootstrap business, lifestyle business, debt backed, and then venture backed. I think that's the question I get the most often since I've done all three of them. and. I think back to um, tying that that thought in with your thought on entrepreneurs kind of um, being a little crazy or having that like <laughs> sense of grandeur. I think it's really easy for people to get caught up in the fact that getting external funding, whether it's debt backed or venture backed, is the right answer for them. But I don't really think that it's the right answer for a lot of businesses and people. And so I think my ramble here is about being really careful about how you fund your business and what you want your life to turn out like on the on the day to day, on a day to day basis. So I think my word of caution or wisdom would be to uh, seek expertise uh, out in people who have done um, different types of businesses before about, starting your own. How about this? You know, you know, they say, you know, don't give up, keep on going. Yeah. You know, be resilient. Success is right on the corner. Mm -hmm. But it was a time when entrepreneurs like not only pivot, but like go back to corporate. <laughs> like, like you know, this for like ten years. You, you like have probably not enough customers. Like, yeah. And of course, it's personal decision. But like, like we're all like you know, you know, not realistic. You know, I'm grinding. I'm, I'm right there. I can feel it. You know, like yeah. When should someone say, okay, maybe I need to take a break at least? Yeah. Well, I think you have to make your ends meet financially. And for me, that's probably where the rubber would meet the so, road. So that's your, your red line, so to speak? I think that's the red line. Can I support myself and or the people that I need to support? Mm. And if not, then you 
you know, it's not that you have to go back to corporate, but or have some traditional job, but maybe it's time to figure out a pivot or a different company that meets the needs of a higher volume of people so that you can sell to them. <laughs> That's a nice way to put it. Yeah. Um, can you share your social media for yourself and your company so people can reach out sure. to you? Sure. You can find Proxy everywhere at P-R-O-X-I and then P- Proxy.co. We don't have the .com, but... The uh, <laughs> yeah, we have the .co. So you can find us at, on all the handles at some variation of Proxy or Proxy. And, and, and it's free for now, right? You know, we'll just sign up and use it. And for... Uh, we envision that for individual users, mm. forever, it would be a free product. And then for business users... Uh, our elevated experience for like analytics and things mm-hmm. like that that we might institute a fee one day. So for the business, once you do set a fee, is going to be is the fee going to be based on like how many people are in the company, what the revenues for the company, how how you want to figure out like the pricing model? Yeah, for the businesses. So I think it'll it it's going to be some variation of like by seat. Um, so you know, if you have twenty people in your news organization mm-hmm. who are pumping out maps, then it would be something like that. And so one thing I think a lot of entrepreneurs have trouble with is figuring out the pricing, right? You always hear, whatever your price is, double or triple it, right? Because you're probably not charged enough. Mm-hmm. What, what's some, uh, what have you done in the past to figure out your pricing models for different companies and for the current okay. one? Yeah, so for my first company, I took uh, the pricing model was based on feedback uh, from customers. And um, that was because it's a SaaS company, you know, you just don't have a lot of overhead. And mm-hmm. so you have to maximize what you think you can uh, what you can charge from people, and so we we conducted a large study and 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 priced it based on feedback. Um, that pricing was based on the number of people in a sorority chapter using our product. Um, so that was interesting. And then for my second company, uh, it was a landscape installation company, and that was absolutely fascinating. But uh, that was based on like how much. Uh, labor was how much materials were and then knowing um all of your overhead costs which is the real gotcha in that business so the trucks the tools all of that um uh and then pricing out some profit on top of that um and then for this business um we've worked with several customers to uh seek feedback so next um talk about the advantages and disadvantages of being a female founder so I think, um, I think my I think it's one and the same for for me personally, and I think I don't think I can speak for everyone, but for me personally, it has been probably my my like a combination of my voice, ironically, to everyone listening, and then appearance as well. So you know, I, I appear as a younger ish female and I think um, sometimes that doesn't lend itself well um, in every conversation like just people make assumptions and any minority listening can understand uh, how that feels in some form or fashion Um, but when I end up talking to people for quite some time um, my credibility increases quickly and I think it's always my mission, even if I'm trying to make a new friend, of how can I cut down the time it takes to represent my expertise mm-hmm. or knowledge. So, you know, 
can it be in the first five, you know, can I get that across in the first three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes? What does that look like? So how long do you wait before you say, okay, I'm not going to be able to prove anything to this person. Like, do you try like 20 minutes, 30 minutes? Oh, yeah. Like, do you say, okay, this uh, is a waste of my time. So you cut off as 45. Okay. <laughs> I know that sounds so specific, but you can and really actually, tell. And to me, it actually seems kind of long. I would have said, I would have said like 10 or 15 minutes, to be honest with you. So, oh, really? So I think 45 minutes, that's more than giving someone a chance. Yeah. And, and I think it's like, you can really tell when you flip the switch for someone mm -hmm. um, and when your conversation becomes more real. Um, and for me, that usually happens somewhere around the 20 minute mark, but the credibility continues to grow yeah. until okay. like the end of a conversation, like 45 minutes, people will be like, wow, the product is great. You're great. This was fun. Um, but it does, you know, it takes a little bit. And some of that's probably just what we talked about with being female. Mm -hmm. Some of it might be about the product. You know, it takes a little bit to explain uh, to people. So, so how do you deal with it? And I'm sure you can tell this right off the bat. You mm -hmm. go talk to someone, they're a guy. And you just tell the guy's attitude like. It's not I'm, always from guys, though. It's not. No. It can be from females, too, which is really surprising. So you're funny to miss, like when I was in the military. Yeah. Like, I, it, it was always like kind of, it wasn't funny at the time. But it's like kind of bad. Like, yeah. like if a female would like kind of go up and rank, right? Oh. She would destroy other females beneath her. It, yes. It was almost like. Like I, I, I had to go through the hard times, so you have to do it too, right? Instead of the, the ability, you know, the 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 past, hey, let me bring up, like, yeah, it's all, like I never people know, like a lot of guys in the numbers are like, man, you're destroying the other females. Like, what are you doing, right? Yeah, yeah, no, that that absolutely happens everywhere, military, outside the military. Um, you know, Melinda and I are we talk about this all the time. Like, we want there have been a select few women who have towed the line for us. And so we always try to tow the line for someone who's like one or two steps behind us as well. So pull them up, pull them into our network, give them access to what we have access to. And there have been a dozen or so women who have done the same for us. So back to the guy, like, you just off the bat, this guy, like he's a chauvinist. He thinks females should be in the kitchen having babies. Like, <laughs> yeah. how do you just, just okay, this is going to waste my time. I'm not doing business with you. Or do you try to educate him? We're just like, hey, this isn't worth my time. Like, oh. he's sitting his ways. Nothing's going to change him. Yeah. We, we can't do business with him. Let's go somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I got to tell you, that really hasn't happened too much. Um, the complete writing off mm -hmm. of someone. Um Usually people will come around and take you seriously in some way or another before the conversation is over. But I guess you're right. If someone were to cross a boundary for me, mm -hmm. then, of course, we couldn't do business with them. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So when you all do your hire, what kind of characteristics do people need to be successful at proxy? Energetic. Um, Well-respected by their current peers. Um uh, an expert in what they're doing, or at least the ability to ask really good questions about what they're doing and have high integrity. I think those were the four that we outlined. Um, and I'm guessing you're, you're a remote company, right? You know, we have an office in okay. the Seattle area. So hybrid, so to speak. Yep. And okay. then we are director of engineering, works out of a different state. Mm -hmm. uh, she was with Facebook elsewhere, and so she has a life built there yeah. and so she's staying um the rest of us happen to be in this area except for our offshore team mm -hmm. they're in the philippines um i think in the future we will allow people to be wherever they need to be and as long as they get their work done it's no problem 
Where do you see the future of that? Like remote work hybrid? Or you know, some people say, you know, remote work, you can't bring a cost yeah. of collaboration. Other people say, you know, if, why are you going to go to the office? Because that's so, if you're in the office nine to five, you're actually only working 20 hours a week. Oh, totally. Plus, yeah. you know, all the, all the you know, gas stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I took from some the other day, like, I'm going to go put some la- gas on a lay- layaway, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, at this point, I think you're going to have to. Um, I, I land firmly that people can be completely virtual, um, but I also think that it is important to have an office. So mm. I think for proxy, Melinda feels the same way. So we'll always have some sort of touchdown space where people can come together. Um, but if you need to be virtual, then yeah, you know, like, for some people, a lot of people are more productive like that. Yes. You do waste a lot of time in the office yes. getting there, talking to people, which is important. Yeah. But you you know, it's not like heads down work. Mm-hmm. But do you really know wanna need to know why Tom's third grader hit a home run in the T ball exactly. game yesterday? <laughs> I mean you don't want to say you don't care about it, but like Tom, like I have to report doing twenty minutes, right? <laughs> We've all been there. Oh my gosh. I yeah. I have no more comments because I worked in corporate America for a long time and I have a lot of good stories about uh, that. Oh, you know, always some of the work starts at nine. Yeah. They show up at nine ten and they unpack a breakfast, eat breakfast at nine ten to nine forty five, uh, you know. Yeah. They go take a break, you know, yeah. they disappear. And then but like like I know a lot of people like don't like I think how is it ready to go? Cause like me, I can't from home. I can, but I really can't, right? Cause like I'll say all the time on the podcast, like, I'll get up every ten minutes, get a snack, you know. I'll I'll just watch TV for 30 minutes. Next thing I've known, I'll watch like six hours or something, <laughs> you know, or, or like, man, um, I'm kind of telling me go take a nap for 20 minutes. Next thing you know, it's like, wife's waking me up. How long have you been asleep? What oh, time is it? Oh, shit. Yeah, so, <laughs> I've been so, asleep all day. <laughs> yeah, so I have, to, I have to come somewhere, you know, but then yeah. again, do so I want to- So you come in every day. That's much, your yeah. strategy. Yeah. When but, do you decide to stay home? I couldn't have an appointment. Like I said, I had a dinner appointment, you know, okay. just different things. But then again, do I want to come to a cubicle, mm. don't want to see the same people every day. Mm-hmm. You know, like, don't want to be, don't like, I come and I want to, like, do I want to go? You have to be here at nine, have to be here, have to do this right. Like, yep. I come and go as I please. Of course, I'm well, an that's entrepreneur. That's the reason you're an entrepreneur, yeah. though. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can imagine, like, how was that transition from military life to it, this, you know? It, it was it was hard because like my so my first post army job I, I worked at Trident Seafoods HR manager right okay and so the military we have this like you know this um, reputational checklist a driven blah blah all this stuff no take control right so I'm purposely not gonna do that right mm. purposely not gonna do it and so over a couple months the boss said hey Jason you did a great job but you not kind of like slow down people sitting make it look bad I, I thought to myself I'm working like thirty percent capacity right like you want me to work day on day off so that's one challenge other challenge was you know <laughs> in the military. You got to, and of course, one bad military has, like, it's not like do as I say, right? People like this collaboration, hey, what do you think about this? And you, mm. you know, go do it right. Interesting. But usually, like, when the decision is made, you have to go do it right. So I had this, we had this like, meeting, we had this daily meeting in the plant, and the plant manager told the engineer team, y'all need to finish this in two weeks. They said, we might get to it next month. And I, I like, I, I like, passed the fuck out. Like, <laughs> <laughs> What the hell is going on here, right? What is happening? <laughs> yeah, you know, so those kind of things. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's it's yeah, it's a challenge. That's why I, I think the stats are like most military veterans, they have two jobs like first two years, right? Because it's just a challenge, of course. And then yeah, it's 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 not easy. It's 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 hard. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a big transition, man. That's... Yeah, but yeah, but you know, but yeah, like you know, 
you, you pick the time you want to come, you know, yeah, I couldn't imagine going to like the office every day, nine to five now. Like I, I, I was joking one time, you'd have to pay me a lot of money, like, <laughs> like a lot of money lot to of have money. to go live that lifestyle a again. Lot, yeah. lot of, a lot of money, a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you meet other people in the office? Yeah, I okay. do. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Of course, they're comfortable. Some people are uncomfortable because COVID and stuff. So, yep. you know, I've I been in person. Like, and one thing, like during COVID, I, I probably travel way too much, right? I, I've traveled all the place, right? But I was like, man, I never seen an airplane this clean. You know, <laughs> there's no one in the line, no one it's, sneezing it's on me. It's the time to travel. <laughs> yeah, and now things are back pre-COVID, and the man, mm-hmm. it's just horrible. Like I always mm-hmm. say, if you want to see the worst humanity, go to go to travel on a plane. Uh, oh, for, oh, that's hands down the truth people are rude and mean and they like skip in front of you like grouch. you don't see me standing here i know oh guess and, me oh, it's dirty you'll just and people guess, will leave trash there guess me too like someone gets on plane you, you know you're the next last person on the plane you have this big ass suitcase oh no don't and even. you know it's not gonna fit anywhere yeah. first of all how come they didn't the plane didn't make you like check it you know <laughs> And so they're up and down trying to like crush all the people's stuff. Like they're holding the whole plane up. Yes. Oh and, no. And the attendants are trying to be polite. Well, ma'am or sir, you know, <laughs> maybe you should check it in. No, mm-hmm. I gotta take it with me. You know, well, maybe just get, take a computer out. Yeah. And then the worst thing they try like try to move someone's stuff or try to crush someone's stuff. You know, like why are you moving my stuff for? You know, <laughs> that's so true. What about invading space on a plane? Oh, I feel God. like that's the worst. People just invade your personal yeah. bubble. Lean into your chair, take their socks off. Oh my goodness, yeah. No. Or, or they mm-hmm. lean back. Eat like, something stinky. Yeah, or they lean back. Like, I know you can lean back, <laughs> but do you know how close this is? Like, are you really that much of a jerk, you know? It's like, you know, I'm back here, you know? Please don't. Especially when it's like during, like, there's a meal or whatever, you know? Oh, like, oh, I know. And like, they know your tray is out. Yeah, exactly. They know you're sitting next to someone. In a, oh my goodness. Plain travel. It's a wild ride out there. Yeah, hopefully we will afford our own private jets in the future, right? Don't have to worry about that. Or at least fly first that's, class. That's the dream. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, people, yeah, there's a lot of bad people out there, a lot of good people, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's it's craziness out there, right? It is. So how, how long have you been in Seattle? I've been in Seattle for 10 years. Okay. Yep, since 2011. So what, 11 years maybe. Yeah, it's been a while. We, we came from um, the Dallas area, mm-hmm. Dallas-Fort Worth. And then went to Texas A&M and then nice. moved up here. So Seattle's a great spot uh, for a lot of reasons. It's beautiful, right? Uh, yeah, one day out of the year. Yeah, uh, I know. It's been a little hard lately. Yeah, I was joking yep. around. Like the math formula for Seattle weather is one day of sun, 21 days of rain. Yep, that's that's it. Like the day before... Wednesday, it was so nice outside. I was on the rooftop. It was like beautiful. It was beautiful. Tomorrow, like, oh my goodness. Like, it was pouring is it, rain. It's like revenge for the weather god for having a nice day. Yes, I know. And what? It's been the worst in 70 some years, I think yeah. is what they said. I saw somewhere um, where it said, like, since January 1st, we've only had five hours of 70 or above weather. Oh my God. And you use it like 150. And you think about 150 is not a lot anyway, right? Yep. It's not even a lot to begin with. And then we have... Five, 70 above. Are you from Seattle? No, I'm from Texas. From That's what yeah. I thought. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. So you know the drill. <laughs> the yeah. transition to the rain is hard. Yeah. It's, when it's nice, it's nice, but man, like sometimes the yeah. days... Like I tell people, not that it rains a lot. Like I tell all the time, like in Texas, it'll rain an inch in an hour. Oh, yeah. Here, it might take a week or two to rain an inch, right? <laughs> but it's always gray, like oh, all the time. That's the hardest part. Do you go back very often? Or do often you... as I can, yeah. Okay. I, I, yeah. I need to go back pretty soon, to be honest with you. Yeah. 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 But then I uh, probably went too late because I was like, you know, hotter like, than too hell. Too hot. It's hotter. Yeah. yeah, it's the hottest summer in uh, 
long time. Yeah, I, I think, think it's somebody told me it's like 107 in San Antonio yesterday. Yeah, yeah, that's where my family is right now. So, yeah. So it was um. So last thing, any last minute advice we're going to talk talk about or give anybody? You know, if you're if you're working on an entrepreneurial endeavor and you're leading one, whether you have a team or not, I think I think the thing that leads to the most success is sticking with it. You know, even in the moments that feel a little bit hard and uncomfortable, the longer you can stick with it, if you have a good offering, of course, I think the better the outcome will be in the end. Hey, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. And to our listeners, thank you for your time as well. Remember to be great every day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Jason Kavnis Experience. Be sure to connect with us across social media at Kavnis HR. Thank you, and remember to be great every day. You know,